Um, so this is the third sermon in a sermon series on prayer uh, that we're doing that Pastor Matthew mentioned. And a number of you have uh, ordered this book and got it. It's just a small book on prayer, but it was very meaningful to me when I read it about six months ago. And we're kind of tracking with this book, though the contents of the sermon sometimes are very different from the contents of the chapters of the book. But we're kind of going through chapter by chapter, and the main topic of the chapter so far has been the main topic of each of the messages, including the one uh, today. Basically, uh, this is not merely like a topical book on prayer, but Alistair Begg, the pastor that wrote it, is interpreting two of Paul's big prayers in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians and uh, many other books in the New Testament. And he's kind of, we're kind of studying them closely. This time, we're just going to be focusing on uh, the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'd like us, uh, I'll read this. And before we read, let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on... Um, our whole worship service, our church in general, in every part, uh, because uh, without your blessing, without depending completely on you, uh, it's really of no use. But with you, O oh God, that, that changes everything, and especially as we go to your word, uh, we need you and we ask for you to come. Illumine our hearts, illumine our minds uh, to see what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this is God's holy and infallible word. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's God's word for us this morning. So Paul writes here in the midst of that prayer that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Our heart, and I don't think this would be a surprise to too many of us because we talk this way today, in the Bible our hearts are the center of who we are, the core of our being, our headquarters. And, and the Bible says that God wants us wants our hearts more than anything else. And if we've given him our hearts truly, well, then we've given him 
everything in a, in a very real sense. There's a little bit of an odd picture that we have here. Paul talks about the eyes of our heart. So if you actually picture eyes on your heart, that's where it gets a little odd. But uh, it, it, it's what, what he's getting at is spiritual sight, which the Bible talks about uh, more often. Uh, and just like we have in, in John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace, I was blind, but now I see that kind of sight. Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, still called Saul, was blinded. A few days later, we read that the scales fell from his eyes and he saw rightly and clearly for the first time. And it wasn't that he just saw physically, but he saw that Jesus was the Old Testament promised Messiah who would come to save his people from their sins. He saw that Jesus died and was rose again to forgive us our sins. And his eyes were opened to see Jesus, who's called the light of the world, and then what he did from there is proclaim Jesus, that light, to the whole then known world. I've been told, and I knew this before, that babies, when they're born, don't see very well. They can't see very far. What I didn't know until recently is that they also see at first in black and white and... I'm not sure I believe this one, but they say it's true that they see upside down for a while. Um, and then as they get older, uh, we would see upside down too, except how our eyes flip it, and they, they, they do. And over time for babies, as they get older and in the weeks and months, the brain sorts all of these things out until they can see Clearly and normally, if all goes well. Spiritual sight parallels our physical sight. Without Jesus, before we're born again, the Bible talks about and describes us being blind. And that's very much like a baby before he or she is born in the womb who can't see at all. Uh, but once we're born again, and that's language the Bible uses, uh, John 3, Jesus talks about being born again, especially if you want to learn more about being born again. Um, so we begin to see, and then as we grow and mature in faith, after we're born again, we begin to see more clearly. And that's what Paul wants for the Ephesians, that they will see better and more clearly. And that's what we need, too, if we're going to grow deeper and wider in prayer like we're talking about. There's a famous Christian leader in history whose name was Abraham Kuyper, and in one of his devotionals, he talks about soul sleep. What does he mean by soul sleep? He means that we can go down the wrong path spiritually 
because Satan has sung us a lullaby that lulls us to sleep spiritually. And then if Satan does that, and if we listen to his tune when it comes to prayer, our soul will be sleepy. The eyes of our hearts will be hard to keep open. Just like the disciples in the garden right before Jesus was arrested and and went to the cross in that most critical event in the history of salvation. He's like, do this with me. Pray for me. Pray with me. Please stay awake. And, and, And of course, uh, they, they, they didn't in that key time. Um, and, and, and Jesus is like, could you not stay awake with me to pray? And, and I think Jesus asked this less about their physical sleep, and it was more about the fact that their souls and their hearts were asleep. The devil still wants to lull us to sleep so that we'll miss what God wants us to see. And so we'll go blindly down the wrong path in life. And so the eyes of our heart get heavy. We can't pray deep and wide if our heart is asleep, if our eyes are closed, if we're blind. We need our eyes wide open, says Paul, in a sense, not drowsy, not half open. If we want that clear sight eyes open, to go deep and wide in prayer, this is how we do it, all right? There are three ways. First, our eyes will be wide open when we're surprised by the Spirit of God. When we're surprised by the Spirit of God. Well, what kind of surprise? Well, we read in Ephesians 1, back at the beginning of the chapter, Verses 3 through 14 tell us about our salvation. 3 through 14, that's 11 verses in our Bible. But in Greek, the language the New Testament was originally written in, it's one sentence. What does that mean? Well, it's like Paul is so excited about the topic he's writing about. God's salvation of his people. He's so exuberant, he just can't stop. He goes on and on. Some people call this one big sentence Paul's great symphony of salvation, a great hymn of redemption praise. He's just so overwhelmed about what God has done for us in Jesus, and he wants us to get that. All over in Paul's writings, he seems to be continually surprised that God would save a wretch like him. The least of all the believers, he calls himself. It's a wonder to him. He's in awe of the miracle that he would be saved. He never takes Uh, the Spirit's work in his heart for granted. And he doesn't want us to take it for granted either. We should be surprised 
that God took us in. We should be surprised that we're part of God's plan, that we're part of God's people. We should be just floored that he would choose any of us. The NBA um, is in the last days of finalizing their rosters for the upcoming season, which starts in two days. It starts on Tuesday. Up until a certain deadline, uh, an NBA team can have can carry 20 players on their roster, but then at, at a point, I don't know if it's the first day of the season or the day before, they've got to trim that. That number has to be at 15. How do you be one of those 15? How do you make the roster? Well, if you bring value to the team, right, like in any sport, then you can make and you will make the final roster. Whether um, the value you bring to uh, the NBA team is defense, right, or three-point shooting, playmaking, rebounding, shot blocking, speed, size, or ideally at least a couple of those abilities, right? Our eyes should be wide open with surprise by the Spirit's work in us because um, each one of us gets on the roster, right? Even though we don't bring anything to God's team. Well, except for our transgressions and trouble, yet by God's grace, we make the team. And that, that surprise and that wonder is going to open wide the eyes of our hearts. Every morning when we wake up, as we come out of that fog of sleep, it should suddenly strike us again and anew that we're a child of God. You know how that happens when you're coming out of sleep and, and you had uh, a disturbing, a troubling dream, and then it dawns on you? That wasn't real. It was a dream. Everything's okay. I just had that with another tooth dream a few days ago, actually. They're all loose, and I wake up like, you know. Whatever trouble or worries we go to sleep with and have to face the next day, it should dawn on us as we're waking up and as reality sets in, it's all going to be okay. I belong to Jesus. That's what's real. That's what's true. And we think, as we think about that, and what we should think, I belong to Jesus, we should think, I must still be dreaming to belong to Jesus. But I'm not. It's really true. Every morning we should be pinching ourselves that the Holy Spirit has worked in even someone like us so that we can say, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And then when, when we come to church, uh, we see all these brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters, none of us perfect, all of us with eccentricities, right, and imperfections. And we should think God really loves us despite everything, despite who we are on our own. Yes, he does. And this should be a constant surprise to us. 
Paul wants our eyes to be opened to this surprise of the love of God even for us. How else will the eyes of our heart be opened to pray deeper and wider? Well, they also will when we count the gifts of God. And so, second this morning, our eyes will be wide open when we count the gifts of God. Paul wants the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, he says, to know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and incomparably great power for us who believe. So we can pray deeper and wider when we are surprised by our salvation, like Paul, and when we can live out our salvation as we count all the gifts that come with it. In this, uh, in this prayer book by Alistair Begg, he talks about being on a cruise ship. And I guess one of the things that's really great about cruise ships uh, is the food. And, and he says, imagine on a cruise sitting on the deck and just the whole time sitting there eating crackers and water. But the ticket that you have gives you access to all kinds of good food and all kinds and a whole variety of different types of beverages. But you don't even visit any of the restaurants because you don't understand everything that your ticket includes. And and so you can be on the boat, on the ship, but not really fully enjoying the ship. And, And that can happen when we're saved as well, but miss all of the gifts that God has for us to enjoy. And in that symphony of salvation that Paul gives us, he writes about God's electing love, that he had his eye on his children before the creation of the world. We read about God's adopting love, that we're included in the family, that Jesus is our big brother, that He's our Heavenly Father, and we've got all these brothers and sisters in Jesus here, in this church, everywhere around the world. Um, He talks about God's redeeming love through the blood of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. He's lavished on us the riches of God's grace. Uh, We're marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. One day, we're going to even receive more than all of this, a heavenly inheritance. If we would truly pay attention to and count up all of these gifts, our eyes will be wide open and we'll enthusiastically be going to God in prayer with thanksgiving, asking us, asking for him to pour out to us all the blessings and gifts that he has for his children. A number of you know I, I spent a number of years growing up in Southern California, and in that time, um, I went to Disneyland a number of times. Uh, it was like about 90 minutes north from where we lived. So if, I don't know if you've been to Disneyland or Disney World recently. I won't tell you what the ticket prices are now, but when I went, they, it was twenty, literally $20. It's, I think it's... 
100 plus right now, so I'm not, I'm not that old. It's just Disneyland dramatically changed. <laughs> a number of times that I was able to go was with a group of high school students, and they did this. I think it might have been, I don't know if it was just certain high schools in Southern California. I don't think they could have done them all at once, but if you got really good grades, you could go for free, like from 8 or 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., which was pretty fun. You know, just all, it was everybody your age all night long at Disney, Disneyland. But imagine getting your ticket, right, your pass. Um, it gets you on every ride, right? Um, and then what you, then in, go through the ticket booth, um, but just stopping in that sort of initial courtyard where there are some benches, but you don't go into the main, the main, yeah, where all the rides are. All you're doing is maybe the, uh, the occasional Disney character comes by, um, and you can see the spires of Cinderella's castle, but they're way off in the distance. You can hear screams of laughter and fun that everyone's having on their rides. Your ticket gives you access to everything, but you just sit on that bench all day. No fun, no food, no real enjoyment. And that's us when Satan lulls us to sleep. We're drowsy, our eyes droop, but as we resist Satan, as we count all God's gifts for us, as we receive them and open them, our eyes will open wide and will live and pray with thanksgiving and joy because of salvation's gifts, even for us. Finally, one more thought. Our eyes are wide open when we're enraptured by the Son of God. When we appreciate that surprise of our salvation, when we count salvation's gifts, we don't just walk on and walk away from there, but from there we turn to see our Savior, Jesus. That's what we're going to want to do. And we want to get closer to him. Ultimately, Paul wants the eyes of our heart to be enlightened and to be open to see Jesus. And so we pray, Oh God, open the eyes of my heart, not only to see who I am in your sight, not only to see the good gifts that you give me, but open my eyes, Lord, to actually see you. Because all of this is possible because of Jesus, the Son of God, his saving and sacrificial work for sinners like us. He's the perfect bridegroom, the Bible says. And though we're very imperfect brides, he cleanses us, he receives us, and so we want to see him above all. We want to look on Jesus with that, that gaze of, of newlyweds on their wedding day to be enraptured, to be entranced by him. 
2 Corinthians 3 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. The more clearly we see Jesus, the more we'll learn of the glorious life that we have in him. This uh, Begg, Alistair Begg, talks about how many people come to church and listen to sermons uh, with the perspective of wanting to be told what to do in their lives. Church, pastor, give me something practical. What can I do to make my life better? But the Bible doesn't give us, he goes on, six steps to job satisfaction. He doesn't give us four ways to overcome anxiety. And instead, we see Paul praying for what we most need, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that leads to a deeper and greater and wider knowledge of Jesus. Social media doesn't satisfy however many likes and shares we get. It doesn't make people feel less lonely. In fact, people are lonelier than ever, they say, and And even in in real life, our friends can let us down. They can be too busy. What we need to do is to look at the face of Jesus. And his face shows us God the Father. uh, To see and to know that he is our Father. That he's slow to chide, swift to bless. That he chose you, that he adopted you, secured your future and your entire destiny. He forgave you. He sent His Spirit to you. Why? Because He loves you. We need to see all that and more. We need to actually see Him in, in full color, focus, clarity, right side up, eyes wide open. And, and that is what will change us. That will encourage us in life. That will reassure us. That is what will ground us. The most transformational, the most practical thing any of us can do today is to look clearly at our Savior, Jesus Christ, with the eyes of our heart and to be totally captivated by who He is and by what He's done. And so, so as, as we end, I just want to ask you, couple of questions to think about. Are you surprised by the Spirit that you belong to the Lord? Are you surprised given your deeds, given your heart? Are you just floored? Do you wake up every day pinching yourself? Am I dreaming? No. I'm not. I'm a child of God, despite everything. Also, are you counting the gifts of God that you've been given, and are you enjoying them? Or, or are you, you kind of outside, outside the theme park, hearing everything at a distance, what other people are enjoying about, about the Lord and about the Christian life? Or are you counting the gifts and opening them and enjoying them 
And are you enraptured by the Son of God, who we will one day see face to face? Uh, Because when we're doing all those things, then our eyes will be wide open with clearer, with deeper and sight. And our prayer life will be that much deeper and wider too. Amen. Let's pray. Open our eyes, O God. We want to see Jesus. May that be our heartfelt prayer. Surprise us anew with uh, your love for wretches like us, O God. Help us to count your blessings, count your gifts, and to truly live out of them and enjoy them. Lord, and help us to be taken with Jesus, our Savior, our Bridegroom, who loves us so much. Give us eyes to see all of that, and as our eyes are open wider, help us to be able to pray deeper and wider. In your name, Jesus, amen.